and I started to share the gospel with him. Uh, I, he put the gun down. He noticed several times. His uh, shoulders relaxed. I have to tell you that I recited the gospel mm-hmm. to him, and I watched him melting it under God's word. That's Virginia Prodon, an inspiring woman of faith, encouraging us to serve God without fear. Welcome to Refocus with Jim Daly, a podcast production from Focus on the Family. We're going to hear an amazing story of a woman who stood only five foot tall and weighed just 82 pounds, but who never backed down in the face of persecution from Romania's communist government. Virginia Prodon practiced law behind the Iron Curtain, representing Christians in the courtroom while her life was being threatened. She was kidnapped, interrogated, beaten, had a gun pointed at her head by an assassin, and you'll hear about how God gave her the courage in the face of all that danger to stand for him. Refocus gives me that opportunity to have deep, extended conversations with these fascinating people about faith and engaging the culture for Christ. In every discussion, I want to try to help you uh, share God's truth and love, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. And I can't think of a better example of this than Virginia Prodon. She is the perfect guest to demonstrate this. If God gave Virginia the strength to express his love to people who wanted to kill her, then we can love people in this country with far lesser offenses in our lives. Here's Virginia Prodon on Refocus with Jim Daly. Virginia, it's an honor to have you here on Refocus. Jim, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be here and share with others a wonderful story that God wrote in my life and the fact that God wants to write their own story if they will allow God to write his story in their life and their life will be changed forever. Virginia, I'm really excited to talk to you because you've seen so much in your lifetime. It's it's both a wonderful experience, but also a difficult one. And I think for the listeners, that's where we're going to have to kind of start is going back to you growing up in Romania behind what was then known as the Iron Curtain. And uh, man, it hasn't been an easy life, but it's been a spirit-filled Lord-directed life. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you. Most of us won't be able to relate to some of your experiences, uh, but describe your environment as a little girl growing up in Romania. I uh, I agree with you that I had a life with uh, a lots of hard, hardship and a life that um, expresses God's love and, uh, and rewards. Um, I want to share with your audience that my story, which is God's story, it's not only for me. God built it in my life that now, today, people can hear and learn how powerful our God is, Mm. why we don't need to be afraid, and why we need to be obedient. Now, it starts as a little girl, but how how do you begin to learn these things as a five, six-year-old, which I'm assuming would be, you know, about the time you would remember things? Describe what that environment was like for you. The earliest thing that I remember as a six-year-old child was the fact that my parents were politically correct outside of the home, 
and it's sad, but today I don't have to say to American people what politically correct means. Everybody understands that. But they were politically correct in giving their rights to the government every single day in fear, because they were in fear of the government, thinking somehow, somewhere, that tomorrow it's going to be better if they will do that. But I heard them also inside of our home whispering how horrible the government was and how the government will ask them to give more rights. As a young kid, I developed an insecurity watching my parents. I realized I don't belong to anyone. Nobody's gonna protect me. But also I noticed a fire building in my life, a fire of and a desire to find out the truth and to find out why adults around me know the truth, but they don't want to speak for the truth. And I was privileged to have in my family lots of lawyers. And when we... That's not normally said about lawyers, that it was <laughs> yes, a privilege. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's right. true, though. Yes, because when we had family reunions, I noticed as a young kid that our relatives would group around them mm. and ask questions. And to me, it looks like they have answers. And all of a sudden, I, I put the dots together and I thought, they know the answer but they don't want to speak. So I have to go to law school in order to know the truth. And somehow I will speak up for the truth. Yeah. And that's such an interesting childhood experience to look Mm -hmm. around you and say, okay, these are the people that seem to be fighting for the truth. And these are the lawyers in your family and other lawyers, I'm sure you saw. Mm -hmm. But uh, to develop that appetite, okay, to know the truth means I need to become a lawyer and pursue Mm -hmm. justice and those things. Uh, Most people don't really understand what it's like to be under a communist dictator. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that context, that bifurcation of your life really does exist. Exactly. And that means exactly what you described, like uh, outside the home, you're in line and doing what the government tells you to do, but inside the home, your real true feelings come out. Mm -hmm. That's That has to be such a dysfunctional way to live life. Exactly. Because it creates lots of problems. That's exactly what I felt like a child. I make a decision that I will not live like my parents. I will not live like my parents. But you know what, Jim? I notice, because now I train people, I notice that in each one of us, there is something that God put. And that is that we look around and we see something and we said, no, it needs to be changed. Well, that might be your mission. Mm. Look around and see what God put in your, your life and what you see needs to be changed. Don't wait for someone else. It's your job. Yeah. Go in your closet and, and hear from God. Exactly. And that'll be the application as we move further in the discussion. Yes. And uh, let me kind of, again, set that foundation, though, for listeners and viewers to better understand what you're going through when you're a young woman, a mm-hmm. teenage girl. In that context, uh, again, you're seeking truth. You don't see it in the home. Did your family go to church? No, no. In fact, I want to mention that if if people read my book, Saving My Assassin, they will be 
the way the Lord help, the Lord helped me is I took the reader by their hands and they walk with me on uh, on you know in socialists and they will find out how socialist works. One of the things that I describe in my book is that in socialists you don't decide your your job or your profession. It's decided for you. It's decided for you. And mm. one of the things about what you ask me if my parents were, were Christian is unknown to me at that time, the government was looking in my file because the government will have, socialist government will have a file on you. If uh, a socialist comes to America, it's going to be the same. And you don't have access to this file to say, oh, this is a mistake. Let me tell you the truth and you can correct it. No. So unknown to me, the government was looking for three uh, questions. One was if my parents ever organized outside of the home uh, revolution. The second one was if my parents were ever reported by their kids that they said something negative about the government. Hmm. And the third one was if my parents were Christians. So I Those are the three questions. Yes, yes. Hmm. And in some way to the government at that time, it indicated uh, a need to watch that family, yes. correct? Yeah. Yes. That's terrible. Um, for you personally, in terms of your ability to worship or to read the Bible, how was it restricted? Um, as you became more of a follower of Christ, I mean, how did they, how did they begin to notice? Are you reading the Bible, and, and how was that received by your government? The way a socialist government works is uh, is on lies and presented half of the truth that will benefit them. At that time, many people did not know that uh, we receive from United States of America the most favored nation status uh, that was coupled, uh, the most favored national strategy gives, gave Romania lots of economical benefits, but also was coupled with respecting human and religious rights. Mm -hmm. The right of uh, foreigners to come to Romania and share the gospel and give us the, the Bible because the Bible was not published in Romania. So... We had the right to have the Bible, but the government never published those law. And many times when they found out a Bible in our home or people transporting the Bible, they would arrest people. So that's when the Lord asked me to, I became a Christian and um, I started to defend Christians. That's what, what I did. Yeah. And that's the way the government works. But the, the issue there, I mean, you're highly restricted. You've got to be watching all the time if you're reading the Bible or saying a prayer. If you're saying <laughs> that around other people, then you've got to really know the people around you that you're not going to be turned in, right? Yes, exactly. And even in our church, we do did not know if we were by a brother in Christ or a spy. Right. But let me tell you something. I always said, okay, my life is in God's hands. If a spy is by me, God knows is there so he can hear the gospel. So somehow <laughs> the Holy Spirit trains you and gives you the courage that you need. And you also understand that there is a responsibility. You are there for God's purpose. 
and God is is whispering through the Holy Spirit what you need to do, encourages you, and you are doing. The last thing that I want your audience to know about me or to think about me is to think that I'm a hero. No. I am a tool in God's hands. I'm under five feet tall. <laughs> I, there is a huge God inside of me. No, don't, don't worry about my size because God is huge inside of me. In Romania, I was 82 pounds. Well, I live in America. I can't be 82 now. And I was a woman. In socialist, a woman is nobody, not nothing. Huh. Oh, think of all those contradictions that you're talking think about, about here. Think about right now in America and the sport, what the sport yeah. is doing. If you don't believe me, think twice. Well, we're. I want to do all the application to America after we really understand your story. Okay. And that okay. I think we can roll that into everything. There's so many applications uh, here mm -hmm. in the U.S. But even with Christmas, the term Christmas, Christmas gift, Christmas party, you couldn't say that. You had to say Santa's gifts, right? Yes, exactly. That was restricted. Exactly. It's kind of like, so a, again, the American application, you know, it's is, becoming really uh, inappropriate to use the word Christmas at yes, Christmas. Yes, You are talking about what I said in the in the book, that in the beginning, they, they uh, offer uh, gifts to people. We well, were, children in school, yeah, right? Children in school and everything, but they were not saying they are Christmas gifts. They are gifts from our father dictator, who is our father. And later on, he became uh, um, people, he required us to worship him alone. But you are right. I mean, he yes. did see himself Ceausescu, right? As yes. a god of sorts. Yes. And yes. that was the tyranny that the whole country was under. Yes. And we'll get to his fall a little later. But your Uncle Carol, uh, he experienced uh, that communist oppression, and that kind of was the spark for you to get into law, correct? That certainly yes. was a yes. catapult yes. for you to mm -hmm. move forward. And tell me about Uncle Carol. Who was he, and why did he, why did he attract you? Um, first of all, I want to say I was like a servant in, in my uh, house in, where I, I live. But look the way God used that. He gave me an opportunity to be by my uncle and learn things that otherwise I wouldn't have learned. And he was a lawyer? He Yes. Okay. And I learned uh, from him that he was a banker under, under capitalist. And he was afraid to speak. And he decided to go to London thinking... Oh, I go to London, and by the time I will be there for a few months or maybe years, uh, someone else will speak, huh. and things will change. Well, guess what? When he returned, the socialist was in power. And when he said something, the socialist came to his bank and took his bank and put him in a psychiatric hospital. In a psychiatric hospital? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because he's, they said that he needs to be trained to be loyal to socialism. You then moved in at some point with your Aunt Cassandra. Yes. Uh -huh. This is a really interesting part of your story. I'd love yeah. to hear, in the end, who was she yes. and uh -huh. what she meant to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yes, he, he moved there because um, he was in in a, in a psychiatric hospital for so long. Many times I heard him saying, only there I can speak the truth until the nurse comes and give me shots and put me to sleep. Huh. But he wanted he wanted to speak the truth. And but, Uncle Carol was married to Cassandra? No, oh, no, okay, no. Okay. He was not. He was much older, but he always regretted that he didn't speak when he it was his time to speak. Yeah. And that that put on my heart that there is a time God wants me or everyone else to speak to take uh, advantage of the opportunity that we have to stand up and never to be to regret and, or to be in a situation like my uncle Carol. Yes. Yeah. And in the book, you talked about the child, your childhood being rough with your parents, and mm-hmm. eventually they I mean, were they, not. They were not even my parents. They weren't your parents, and that's where Aunt Cassandra comes in. Describe that story. Um, it's a painful story because for years I didn't know who I was. I was told at the place where I live until I was maybe 17 and a half and I went to law school, I was told that I don't belong, that I was there to be a servant. They treated you differently. Yes. You thought they were your mom and dad, though, correct? Yes, but but they they were telling me uh, that if someone will come to look for a child, I will be... Um, offer for adoption. I was never taken with them at vacation or other places. They had two other children. Yes. And they other, treated them differently. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But somehow it was painful to me and I wanted to know who I was. And I had the opportunity to be with what they call my aunt, uh, Cassandra. But the minute that I met her in Bucharest at the train station, I was shocked. She had uh, red hair like me. She had freckles, and she was (laughs) my size. But she never told me that Mm. she was my mother. She was your real mother. She was my real mother. We went to take a picture, and even the the professional photographer said, "Wow, you look alike, mother and daughter." I wanted so much her to say to me, "I am your mother." That had but, to be a great feeling, though. Yes, even though yes, it would hurt to say, yes, "I've lived seventeen yes, and a half years yes, without yeah. you." And the people you were living with, that was your aunt. That was yes, your mother's sister. Exactly. It was an understanding in. between them. Yeah. And I believe my real mother was paying them to uh, to keep me and also to keep quiet. Right. But they, they um, uh, taught me a great lesson. Um, even though for years I thought I'm not, I'm not a child. I'm a problem to these people, huh. and it was a harmful feeling. So I made a, a deal with myself that no matter the mistakes that I will made in my life with my kids, I will humble myself. I will go to my kids and say. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Would you forgive me? Mm. Because it is more important to keep a relationship, to show your kids that you are not perfect, that only God helps you, so you help them too. Yeah, and you felt that pain because yes. you and your, your biological mother didn't have that kind of situation. Yes. I mean, she sent yeah. you off to be with her sister yes. so she could conceal you. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and then 17 and a half, you reunite. Just go back for a moment to that 
emotion that you must have felt? And then how did you and your mom connect at that point? Did you forgive her? Did you have a sense of abandonment that she had left you in this horrible situation with your aunt and uncle? I, uh, for years, I am, God created me, even when I didn't know him. He created me to see the half of the uh, the cup full. So I, uh, being a young child at home and, and being seven or eight years old and left alone to take care of the house, not with food or anything, I felt like I was abandoned. And... I was scared to death, and even from the trees, I will create image of of people or something that are with me. I will take a book and read books of famous people or people that had problems in their life, and they conquer them, and they were like my mentors. I always have the desire that this is not my place. I had times when I wanted to run away, and I was thinking, but where? Where? But I had this desire that one day I'm, I'm going to be out of this place. And in fact, what I did, because my people that I uh, was with, they discovered that I will go in another room and study for law school and have the lights late in night. They decided to cut off the lights. So I found another solution. I put clothes on me when it was cold uh, outside and I will take my material and I will walk in front of the house and do my homework. Unknown to me, because I heard from my classmates at school, they would say, our parents are talking about how much you study and everything. They had no idea that I would study outside because I couldn't study inside. But the desire and the, the knowledge that I don't belong, I belong somewhere else, and I have to find a way mm. to know who I was, but also to find a way to go outside of this, develop in me. You see, God created me to find solution out of the problem and a horrible situation, not to be a victim, but to find solutions. Yeah. Virginia, we're going to move into more of that story, but I need to ask that reconciliation with your mom, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people get hung up right there. Yes. I mean, the bitterness that people might have that a child, Mm -hmm. uh, an adult child might have, feeling Uh like she gave you up. Mm-hmm. And to be in this very difficult situation, how, how did you reconcile that with your mother? How, what did that look like? What did it sound like? I left Romania, and I did not know the answer. Ah. I came to America, and years later, when I went back to Romania, one of the relatives, because both of them died, one of the relatives had the courage to tell me the truth. And that's how I found the truth. Uh. I'm a Christian, and God asked me to forgive. Because when you don't forgive, you just are tied to that resentment. You're tied to that that uh, anger. And also, you are saying to your Lord, where were you? You start to accuse God. Where were you? Why did you do that and everything? And God wants you to forgive in order to see the plan that he had 
for you. Mm. My kids read the book and had different reaction. One was like, oh, mom, I cry. You were so 18 when you when you heard for the first time what you knew later that your mom was Cassandra to tell you, I love you. You're 18 or others saying, Mom, you're at this age when you found out who your real mom was. But I told them God was not asleep. God did not create those situations. God allowed these people to do it because we are free will people. But he shows me the learning lessons to have compassion to those people, to learn from those mistakes and never, never repeat them and also help kids maybe in the same situation, parents that don't know how to relate to the the child and say, listen, I had an abortion or I had an adoption. I don't know how to face my child now and so forth. There are so many lessons and positive things that God, God can use out of our pain. And that's mm. the, that's our God. Yeah, and putting that burden in his hands. I mean, that is the, the secret, you yes. know, to yes. forgive those who have wronged you. Romans 8.28 is a yeah. powerful scripture that e- you use. Even, even now, from time to time, the evil one attacks me. I was in a a mall, not park mall in Dallas. It's huge. And at Christmas time, it's full of uh, parents and kids and everything. And I was with my friends. And all of a sudden, I see a man with uh, a child uh, on his shoulder. I see mother holding hands. And I just focus on that. And I'm ready to burst into tears. Mm -hmm. Ten years ago, maybe. Mm. And I'm saying, Lord, I will never have that feelings. And I was ready to 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 cry. And I said, Lord, help me. I don't want to cry. I don't want to explain to my friends why I am crying. Move my thoughts and my focus for the pain to the fact that you use my pain to find you. You. My heavenly Father, they will never, never forsake me. You are by my side every single time, and you enrich my life in a way, and I can touch others like in my situation, and you use my pain for your glory. Mm. It, it was. It, it comes, and it will come to your life, but it is the way you allowed God to move your focus from your pain to his power, yeah. and it's amazing. No, and it's so beautiful. And you finished law school, and you were living with your mom, I guess, through that mm-hmm. experience. You then get married. You have your own two yes. children. Mm-hmm. Describe that transition. Now you're married yourself, and you're having two children. What's that like? It was, first of all, I experienced for the first time how hard it is to wait for the Lord. When I realized that I was pregnant, I wanted to see my child. I had to wait in nine months, okay? So it was a beautiful uh, experience that I am holding my own child and I'm responsible responsive for the life of, and I'm a Christian. And I remember the minute that I noticed, I started to pray for, for my child. When the child was born underneath their crib, I put the, uh, Christian music. Um, when uh, my um, oldest daughter was 
old enough, you know, to keep a book or something. I had to study for bar exam. So in order for her to to be quiet, I gave her the books and she was able to see me, you know, doing, doing reading the books. I uh, later on, I trained my kids to memorize Bible verses and to be trained in, in God's word yeah. because it was my responsibility to do this. I remember um, one of my child in Romania at that time, our hero was Nadia Comaneci. And everybody, every the child. The Olympic star. Yes, everybody yeah. wants to be Nadia Comaneci. And my girls were doing outside all kind of things like her. And one of my daughter broke uh, her arm. So we, we called the, the hospital. We didn't know if we need to go or not. But the nurse came uh, inside, and I had Bible verses everywhere. These are the secret police? That's a secret police, exactly. People that will report. And she was, she, she looked at that like, what in the world is going here? I was aware that the government can take my kids away. But you have always a choice. God said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. You go God's way and to support the consequences, or you go the government way and you go every single day deeper and deeper and mm. farther and farther away from the Lord. So she looks at, at those Bible verses and I'm trying to share the gospel with her and she thinks, you are crazy, I can report you and so forth, you know. So um, it was a great feeling, but also a great responsibility, oh, yeah. uh, you know, to um, to train my kids in God's God's word, and I did. Virginia, let's talk about that moment when you actually became a Christian. Uh, someone came to you. Describe that moment. Who came to you? What did he say? I remember um, that day very vividly. As I mentioned before, even before I knew the Lord, I noticed that I was created as a person who looks at half of the cup full. So from a younger age, I wanted to be a lawyer. Every single day I will go to work thinking and saying, today I'm going to find the the truth. I read in the law books. I passed the test. Now I have to actually put in practice. So I practice and practice and practice. And one day I'm coming to my law office so discouraged. And I put my briefcase on my secretary desk and I look at her and said, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I can't find the truth. And it was so painful to Mm. me because from the age I was six, I dream about this. And I'm not a quitter. So she looked at me like, where have you been? What are you dreaming about? And she gave me three files. And she said, there are three clients that will come and see you. And one is in your office. So I walk into my office in my mind. Where is the truth? Why I cannot find the truth? And I noticed the client that was in my office. I had been working with him for a year. And this client was... Most of the time, in a crazy world of socialists, Mm -hmm. full of peace, joy, and confidence. And many times I said to myself, this man is crazy. I need to fix it. (laughs) But I never had the time. It was always one client after client. So here I am 
in the day, the most painful day of my life, thinking I'm going to quit the dream that I had to be a lawyer. And I am face to face with joy, confidence, and peace. And I heard myself saying, I wish I had in my life what you have in your life. And he looked back to me and said, do you go to church? And I stared at him, thinking, I knew you are crazy. I don't know why I ask you this question. But he was writing something in, on a piece of paper and gave it to me and said, this is an, the address of our church. Would you come to our church next Sunday? And I heard myself saying, yes, I'll come to your church. That was the craziest things <laughs> to do. Because few months ago, the dictator declared himself God, required everyone to worship God. And I said, yes. But more than that, the next Sunday, I was with my girls at his church. So I went to, to his church. He was there. We walk inside. And as I walk inside, I remember the, the church was totally different than Orthodox church that I used to go you know, at Easter and Christmas, it was totally different. And I heard the uh, choir singing, sinner, come home. And as I walk inside, I was thinking the government can take my license away. The government can take my kids away. The government can arrest me. But as I hear the song, sinner, come home, I started to encourage myself and say, oh, this is a safe place. These people have a celebration. A man must be behind me. His name must be sinner. And he's coming home today and they have a celebration. That's what I knew about sin. That's what I knew about God. And as we walk, um, the our, my client told us where to sit and everything. And the pastor came, opened the Bible and read. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except from me. And in that big church and quiet church, imagine somebody saying, what? That was me. Because finally somebody said, Jesus Christ said to me, Virginia, I am the truth. You have been looking in the wrong places. And I got glued to the pastor. And Christ came alive to me. I realized he's the truth. I accepted him that day as my Lord and Savior. And not only that, I accepted the fact that he put on my heart to find the truth that he guided me all my life, mm. and he guided me to him. And sh surely enough, he guided me and explained to me that he had a mission that to defend Christian and human rights cases. And I didn't have to look for clients because they will come to me. And that was so powerful in my life. I learned later on, not in that moment, because when I knew and I learned that that was a mission that God gave me, God taught me how he is the one who will sustain that mission in me if I obey him, how he will provide for me to accomplish that mission. And that was the greatest. And also, I believe that God had in mind uh, my kids, 
my grandkids, because it's so wonderful many times to receive uh, calls from my kids and say, Mom, you with your faith in Christ, you reach in our family generations to come. Mm. Because my kids are saying, teach me how to have my grandma faith. She she loves the Lord so much. I want to love the Lord. And when you show others your love for Christ, you have no idea how many lives you will reach and touch. Powerful. Let's move now into kind of the, the deeper part of your story where you're now a lawyer, you're a human rights lawyer in Romania against a government that recognizes no human rights. Yes. I tell you what to do and you do it or you go to prison or you go Mm -hmm. to psychiatric hospital or you're killed, Uh whatever it might be. Describe that kind of environment, trying to work as an attorney to defend others who are expressing their religious beliefs. I think you had three, four, probably more than that cases that you won Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that became very, uh, you know, concerning to the government there. Yes. Describe all of that. Uh, First of all, I want to say that I never, I I wanted to find the truth, but I never thought in my uh, wildest dream, I'm going to take dictators to court and so forth. Is that what the Lord had in mind? That was his mission, that that what he has done in in my life. So when I accepted Christ, first of all... How old were you when that happened? uh, I was maybe 26, 27. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. when I was baptized, my name was not on the list uh, because my church was very clever because the government controlled that. So they wanted to baptize me before the government knew. So I was the last one. After that, as I was, I accepted Christ and baptized, I realized that the Lord wants me to defend Christians. And I didn't have to look for cases. They will come to, to me and they will uh, I will um, defend them like uh, young people that will take Bibles from one church to another for vacation Bible school and they will be arrested or churches that will ask for government to allow them to maintain the church or extend and the government will put them on the waiting list until the church will be disrepair in disrepair and the government will come and take the church uh, demolish the church and take the land or doctors that will uh, give a prescription to to their clients but also a bible verse and they will be in uh, danger the government will say i take the your license away what the Lord did, and people can can read in the book in details, is God helped me to find out the laws that were in the book from the capitalist era, but the government, the socialist government, never took them away. So the laws were still in place. Yes, but they keep them under lock mm-hmm. for nobody to uh, to find them. But as I pray as a young person, and I pray, I said, Lord, help me to find the law, because you cannot sue someone and not say, I'm suing in the base of and of this. You, you sue the dictator on what? So I pray, and I went to the library, and I, I searched, and I searched. The Holy Spirit guided me, and I found the, the laws on the the table because someone forgot to lock them 
Oh and, my goodness. And I heard the Lord saying, take pictures of those law. And I did. I, huh. I, I, take, I took copies, not pictures, copies. I took them to the copy machine and I took copies. Unknown to me, when I went in the courtroom and I said to the government, you have to release my clients today because we have the law protecting them. The um, judge looked at me like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Well, I went to my briefcase and I gave him the copy and I gave the prosecutor the copy. They turned red. They turned red and they said, we need to look at those laws and we'll take a few hours and we'll make a decision. Well, I went home after this and I listened to Voice of America because there was the only radio Voice of America and Free Europe that were able to know what's going on in, in the world. And as I listened to Voice of America, to the news, I realized I became the news. <laughs> Voice of America was saying a young girl under, you know, 28 years old, five feet tall, 82 pounds, is taking government to court and showing them the, the laws. I was thinking, where in the world this information are coming? Because Voice of America and Free Europe were not allowed. Later on, I found out that as I was in the courtroom facing the, the judge behind me, the representative from United States from all over the world were there taking notes because they have never seen a young person taking the government to court. And they were sending those notes and information to, uh, to their government. And I was happy on one hand because the world knew, but on the other hand, I knew that I have guards outside ready to come in a minute and kill me on the pretext that I'm a spy for America. Yeah. But that's the, the way God God uh, helped me. Well, and th what you say so often is you have to choose. If you're yes. going to walk with God, then yes. you trust in him all the way. Uh -huh. And you don't you don't become deceptive yourself. Yes. In yes. order to save your own self. Yeah, you cannot and I, This save. is a powerful point. Yes, Because I is. think that so many people miss that, especially people who are fearful. Um, you know what? You lay it all out there. You go. And yes. you stand firmly for the Lord. And, and you, then take the consequences. Exactly. And you know what? In doing this, you exercise your faith muscles. You exercise those every day. Now, the outcomes are going to be different depending upon God's plan for yes, each person, right? Exactly, so it's not exactly. a guarantee. No, if you no. are bold and you stand firmly in your faith, something could happen to you. Yes. Still. I, I don't know. But you have to trust the Lord. Exactly. In your case, and I want to get to this story, the government sent an assassin mm -hmm. to take you out. Yes. This is probably the most profound, powerful story that I read in the book. <laughs> Describe that. So this guy is sent by the Romanian government to mm -hmm. kill you. Yes. Uh, the Lord gave me an assignment, and I want to say it. The more you obey God, God will elevate you to more risky um, assignment. This was an assignment when I received it. I created a pocket in my, uh, in, uh, my suit, uh, but I said to the Lord, Lord, if they find out as they interrogate me every single day and they search me, they will be able to kill me right away. But I said, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And I did that. The next day I went uh, outside. They took me to the interrogation room and they beat me like never before. But you know what? 
they forgot to search me. <laughs> and that day, I was able to to give those documents to the American embassy. And by the end of the day, those documents were on the desk of President Reagan, who said, I, I proved to them that the dictator lied even, even at that point. And President Reagan said, I'm going to take the most favored national status from you. So the dictator created the perfect plan. He sent a new client, an assassin, to kill me. So he, because they had microphones everywhere, they knew about my whereabouts, what I was talking with my assistant. So he came exactly in time for my assistant to introduce him to my office. And she said, I'm going to, um, to pick up my kids. The minute that he heard my assistant locking the door, he pulled his jacket, took his uh, gun, and pointed to my face and said, I'm not here as your client. I'm here to kill you. And he was so joyful. It struck me to the core. But he explained to me, by doing this, he said, I will be number one in President Ceausescu's rank. And he was so happy. I was shaking. Uh, he was six ten feet tall with a gun at my face. I was under five feet tall, 82 pounds. I was shaking. I assumed that my face was red. I heard my, my heart in my ears. I was looking at my picture saying my girls will live without a mother. And in all this noise, I heard the Lord saying, share the gospel. And I was thinking, that's my last chance before I leave this earth, to share the gospel mm. with this soul. And I started to share the gospel. And I remember telling him, I know you have a job, but I would love to share something with you. And to my surprise, he said yes. And I started to share the gospel with him. Uh, I, he put the gun down. He noted several times, his uh, shoulders relaxed. I have to tell you that I recited the Bible, not saying the gospel. I recited the gospel mm. to him, and I watched him melting in under God's word. And as I watch him, I'm thinking, when I am done, he's going to kill me. And that stopped my thoughts of thinking. So I started to say two sentences on my own. And boy, he came back to, I'm here to kill you and so forth. I was so scared. I pray like never before. And the good Lord reminded me the gospel. And I shared the gospel and he accepted Christ right there in front of me. When he left, I don't know how long I stayed there, but I was thinking it happened. Really, in front of me, he is my brother in Christ. And the story doesn't end there. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Tell it, tell it, because people may have to cut out. But yes. tell me what uh, so happened. So years after that, six months or a year after that, President Reagan picked up the phone and said, because he heard about what happened, uh, he and was afraid that uh, the dictator will kill me. He said, I will make a deal with you. I will give you the most favored national status for one more year if you allowed Virginia and her family to leave today. The dictator said, deal in a month. 
You will find out in the book that he created another plan to kill me. But I want to say this. I didn't know President Reagan. When you are a child of God and you obey God, he will put the most powerful person in the world to protect your life. That's mm-hmm. what God did. I came to the United States. I didn't know a word in English, no money, no friends, no nothing. So I learned English. I went back to, to law school, and I graduated. I opened my law firm, and I practiced. And in a few years in my practice, a man comes to my office. He presented his case, and he, it was a good case. And I'm thinking, well, I would take his case as a good case. When he finished, he was very frustrated and said, Virginia, don't you recognize me? <laughs> and he showed me his uh, Securitate ID. I thought that I relived again that moment in Romania. It was it so real. You. Yes, yeah. it shook me to the core that I am in front of my assassin one more time and by myself again. And he started to say what the Lord is doing in his life. I'll share one one secret. He's a pastor now. Yeah, he became a pastor. Yes. And I shared what the uh, Lord is doing in my life that I'm writing the book. And he said, let me write a chapter in your book. And he wrote a chapter in my book. In my wildest dream, when I started writing my book, I never thought that one day my assassin would write a, a chapter in my book. That is crazy. That's the way God works. <laughs> That's the That's way God the, works. The way, and, and it's so important to read also his uh, um chapter because yeah. he explains how as a young person he was attracted by the lies of socialists. Free, 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 free stuff. And he got into socialists. He got into the the party and in order to to go up on, on the hierarchy he started to kill people to put wrong um, documents at their, their place in order to arrest them or even to kill them. That How socialists created a monster out of him, but he also explained how God redeemed him and what he is doing now. Mm. It's a great, great lesson of how powerful our God is and how to treat people as God's creation, not our enemies. It's such a powerful story, and it does sum it all up. I mean, when you stay true to the Lord, again, it's not always going to work out perfectly. It may not always work out positively. But you'll be faithful to the Lord. And so those consequences are what the Lord intended. Yes, exactly. It's what is true. Exactly. Back to who you are and what yes. you're about. Yeah. At the same time, to have your assassin, to be able to lead that person to the Lord, a lot of Christians, and let me just speak to the Christian community, because a lot of Christians would struggle with that, because in that moment, you're operating out of your flesh so often. Yes. Uh-huh. How am I going to save my own skin? Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. uh, what am I going to do here? What do I need to sign? What do I got to do? Exactly. And you buckle. You, you, unfortunately, you give in. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you, you did perhaps the boldest thing that you could do. Can I share the gospel with you? And the man was receptive. Yes. I mean, that's yes. amazing. You have no idea. That's two lives profoundly changed yours and his yes god saved a boat of us that day he saved me from this man to pull the trigger and he saved him from the evil empire to 
back to Christ yeah. who created him. Yes. In that regard, Virginia, when you look at the U.S. and where we're at and the attitude of the church, how do we uh, refrain from fighting this battle against people that don't like what we stand for as Christians? Mm-hmm. H- how do we how do we learn? What do you say to us to gain wisdom in order to reflect Christ the way he would want us to reflect him in this culture that's coming at us, that's Mm kind of nasty toward us? I will say two things. One is you as American people never experience persecution. You need to be trained. You need to be prepared not to run away that someone else will will do it. Not that is not my time to speak. I have been watching you from overseas in Romania and growing with you here for so many years in America. And now I can say as American people, we brought Christ, freedom and prosperity to people all over the world. God is saying it's time for you American people to bring Christ, freedom, and prosperity back to America. In order to do this, I believe two things are essential. We have Bibles at our fingertips, but many of us, and if you don't see the reality, you will never correct the reality. I'm not saying this to criticize. I'm saying to help American people. Many people don't open the Bible Monday to Sunday morning until they go to church and they hear only what the pastor said. It's time for us to have time with the Lord for two reasons. One is to learn who you are. You are a sinful person. You are in need for God, but you are God's creation who gives you favor and honor. You don't need to look for anyone else. You already have the highest rank in the entire world, child of God. Mm. And he is giving you honor and favor. He is providing your resources. Know your boss, know the government. Be respectful, but know who you are in Christ. The second part is know who your God is. Did you put your God in in a box and God is the only one that you go after you go to your phone, you go to social media, you go to all your friends, you go to government and the list goes on and finally you go to God? Do you have that relationship with God and say, Lord, I am your child. And like David says, Lord, fight with those who fight with me. Lord, help me. And say like David said, how long, Lord, are you asleep? Lord, he is not offended. Mm. No, he is not offended. Go and complain to God first about your situation. Go and hear from, there is a time that you can talk and and take away everything that you have in your heart and receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. There is a time that you hear from God. God says in his word that he will put his hands on our back and say, this is a way, walk in it. You will never be alone. You might hear me saying, God told me this and God told me that because we have a God who communicates with us 
I speak with him every single day. I cry with him and I laugh with him every single moment. And that is what God wants. Another thing that I want to say and encourage American people, this is the best time in our life. Oh, you might think I'm crazy. But when the darkness comes, the light of Christ will shine so powerful in us and People want to see a God full of grace, care, uh, full of sovereignty, a God who is in charge of the evil one, who has a limited time, and they will say, I want your God to be my God. Mm. And lastly, I'm not saying because I'm polite. I'm saying because it's true. It's true and I hope and I know it will be true until my last breath on this earth. There is no greater honor for a Christian to suffer for Christ and to suffer with Christ. That the way you witness, the way you know yourself, the way you hear God and feel Him. No, I'm not crazy. I can feel God's warmth. And hands around me, I can hear his whisper. I can he- know even his smell, his laugh, because I, he took me to times when nobody was able to help but him. And I know who my God is. And that's what we have to do. And we will have the best. Now, it might be painful, but the best spiritual uh, awakening in America, the, the best spiritual way to walk with God, to obey God, and to see miracles, because God will perform miracles. He changed Romania to a little tiny me. He wants to change America to each one of us, wherever he placed us. And this is our opportunity Fear God and no one else. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> you are a cheerleader. <laughs> yes, I am. I love it. The uh, In that context, though, uh, what you said a moment ago, I want to come back to and just get a little more from you, and that is we need to prepare ourselves yes. for more persecution. <laughs> now, some people totally disagree with that. I, I know a Christian leader because I said that very same thing. I was in China taking a tour in uh, Beijing and a Christian missionary couple from within China mm-hmm. dropped me off at the airport and they said, uh, we, we will continue to pray for you, Mr. Daly. I said, oh, how do you pray for us in America? And they said, well, we pray for greater persecution because where we sit, the church in America is very weak. Yes. And yes. I had a Christian leader here in America say, oh, that's hogwash theology. I don't think so. No. I think they were onto something. Yes. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, God does show up in that suffering. It's not where, you know, we in the West want to live. We want to live with comfort and not really think twice about the Lord. Mm-hmm. But he's saying, no, I think you're going to suffer for my sake. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the power of that is the guard. What mm-hmm. people don't realize, it's to win the souls yes. of people like your assassin. Yes. Because if we can behave in the power of Christ, in that mm-hmm. moment, appropriately, spiritually mature, yes. it'll change lives. Absolutely. And the, the whiny Christian Western attitude doesn't change anybody because mm-hmm. you're as fearful as they are yes. and you're as power hungry as they are. You really don't know who you are. And yes. that's what's that, sh- that is what that is showing. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. You know, you said a few things that I want to emphasize. One is that God did not send us 
to win an argument. God sent us to win souls in his power. Amen. And God told us from the beginning in the world, you will experience tribulation. But he said, be a cheerleader. Why? Because he conquered the world. He, he, we are already in the winning team. I'm, I <laughs> right. am, I'm under five feet tall. And I always said, listen, with God, you cannot win against me. As long as I stay under God's wings, as long as I am a soldier and I report daily for uh, the mission under God, the general of the general, my king and my Lord, there is no way. Yes, I will cry. I will, I will suffer pain and I will suffer, you know, your mocking or your um, words that, that you will say, but I will be victorious in him. And you know what? Read the, the revelation. There are big rewards in heaven for, for me and for each one who will do that. Yeah, and the, and why we are motivated to do that is our love in Christ because he first loved us. Yes, exactly. It's that motivation. It's not to win the argument. It's nope. to simply say, maybe you too yes. can yeah. see what we see, which is truth. Exactly. And to remember that at one point, maybe we were not like, you know, the transgender or uh, gay and lesbian or something, but we were sinful. We were in many ways like them, and God loved us. So we need to have compassion for Boy, them. Boy, that is so true. And I think um, in that regard, looking at what you experienced under communism, a brutal dictatorship, what others have lived through, the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries at that time, mm-hmm. um, when you look at it, w- there are so many concerning signs in the West, the breakdown of the family, mm-hmm. the fact that government gets between children and parents. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that here in the U.S. And you know, alarmists will say on the other side, they'll say, oh, you're just... You know, you're just uh, a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. We're not saying it's a concocted thing by human beings, but what we're saying is there's spiritual warfare going on. Exactly. And when you break down the family, when you separate children from their parents, when you indoctrinate children in mm-hmm. public school, when you introduce them to sexual themes in first, second, third grade, you're harming them. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. don't care. I don't mm-hmm. think they care about children, to be no. honest with no, you. No, no, It's the all. political motivation that they want, the power mm-hmm. that you've seen in mm-hmm. Romania, that when human beings get power, they want more of it. Exactly. And they're going to do everything they can to get it. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, no, people need to live free. Exactly. And, and I think as a Christian, live free. Make your choices. God exactly. himself gives you those choices. Absolutely. Christians need to do the same. But- Tolerate freedom. If you're going to talk about tolerating freedom, then you got to tolerate Christians too. Yes, exactly. And it's amazing to me when I was in the interrogation room, and they uh, Ceausescu was screaming at the phone on the phone, uh, the, "My, my uh, killers! They are all with guns and everything, and giving them order what to do." And I was thinking, next him he can say, "Kill her and everything." I was the one who the only one having peace, the only one having the, the, and also the assurance that, yes, I, I am here for a purpose. But I want to say from my point of view as, as a person coming to America, first of all, this spiritual battle over us to destroy the family started a long time ago. And in many ways, we have been asleep as a nation and as um 
um, people of God, Christians, people yeah. of God. Uh, I remember a few things that surprised me when I went to the grocery store and everything was multicolored and everything beautiful things. My first reaction was, is this an exhibition? People don't run for food. It's not a long line and everything, you know, because that's what capitalism is. Yes, plentiful. But another thing that, that um, struck me was this. In America, is the only way in America. You as uh, in, a, in a capitalist compared with socialists where the government dictates everything and you are at the mercy of buying food or clothes or everything. In America, you as a, a, a customer, you are almost the king because the companies will want to make you happy, will do whatever it takes. To get your business. Yes, to have your business. Well, that is good. The only way that it's crazy in America that that is not happening and for years is at college. Mm-hmm. Parents pay for children's education, and they have no access to know what the children, the the. The adults, 18, yeah. uh, learn what they do and everything, and they are on um, child, 18 years old person, is at the mercy of the government. Well, and let me now, let me ask you, because I think you'll make that point, that indoctrination we're talking about. When you yes. look at not only colleges that are, you know, you can choose not to go to a college. Yes. You know, uh-huh. that's part of it. But public education, that's hard to choose not to. I'm thankful that we have Christian families that do homeschooling and Uh do private Christian education, all that, but not everybody could afford to do those things or have the time to do them. I get Uh that. But in that context, uh, that indoctrination plot is quite deep. You probably saw it in Romania. Yes. Uh I saw it in the Soviet Union when I spent Uh time there. Uh Uh, That's part of the plan. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I will give you an example uh, when um, the the government in socialist Romania will ask the parents to pay the the books for for kids every single year, and the government will give them uh, the books the first day of school. It came to a time where the government, uh, for unknown reason, in the beginning said the parents have to go during summer and buy buy the books. So um, in my free time, I took my girls and we had to go to several bookstores and it was uh, quite a trip because it was hard to find them. Well, my girls went to first day at school with their their books already in in the books and the teacher opened the the first lesson and had the pictures of a dictator and his wife and and the books and the lesson was uh, you receive those books from your father, uh, our president, and he loves you, he provides for you, and so forth. And the teacher said, now we close your, close your book and write a small essay like a letter, and uh, we'll send the, the letter to our president. And um, my daughter, as a good uh, person telling the truth, wrote, my mom bought the books, and I was there with her. No. I did not receive this. The teacher was petrified. She called my office 
and I was in the courtroom. They had to come into the courtroom because it was a government. And they said, you have to go to school. So you have to leave court and go yes, to school because to the government was calling yes. you. Okay. And the teacher said, your daughter said this. And I called her to my desk and I said, listen, what you wrote is true, but you cannot say the truth. And then she said to me, you have to tell your daughter not to tell the truth. And I said, listen, you are telling me to raise my child to speak lies? And I said, no. That was the reality. And if we have to support the consequences, we will support the consequences. The thing is, the government, the the socialist government was in big power. I'm talking about America. This government that wants to build socialists cannot exist by itself, cannot create socialists unless people are silent and by silence will agree with them. If you stand up and say enough, it's enough. This government cannot support itself. Virginia, we'll go away. Yeah, Virginia, let me emphasize this point because what you're saying has such application to our culture today where um, that teacher recognized that she was writing the truth, mm-hmm. but we can't, we can't speak the truth here. Yeah. We're in the same boat right now. Mm-hmm. You look at certain power forces... LGBTQ is one. So we have to play along that men can become pregnant. Mm-hmm. That no. men, no. Uh, you know, we cannot. can have feminine we have, features let because me they're tell not you. men. No, let me tell you. But that is one of the fabrications. Yes, and when exactly. a culture, when a culture cannot speak truth to one yes. another, uh-huh. I, I get, I get the fact that some people have gender dysphoria. We can't ignore that. Uh-huh. But for the but culture to embrace, right? Yes. And and. For the culture to embrace the lie, it's that slippery exactly, slope. Exactly. So who you knows are what's right. true now? We can't but, even define what a woman is. But what I say is this. I am telling you the truth. And I'm not uh, asking anyone to go into to violent situation. But I am saying, I am telling you the truth. And I'm taking the risk to tell you the truth because I love you. And because I love you, I want you to know the truth because one day you will know the truth, but you will be so wounded when you will find the truth. I want you to know the truth now when you are not that wounded. And I am telling you the truth not because I hate you, not because I want to correct you. I want, I love you, and I want you to know that you are God's creation. You are created beautifully, and I want you to have that choice to know the truth. And again, I am taking the risk Mm. because I love you to tell the truth. And many, many people will be like, oh, I never thought about this way. After all, yes, you're taking a risk. You know, we don't know what we're losing now. Yes, we don't exactly. know the rights that we're losing and giving up and the way the power structures are at work mm-hmm. to disempower us yes. in our families, in our parenting, etc. It's starting to break through. And I think people here in the U.S. are beginning to figure out we've mm-hmm. got a problem when yes. it comes to freedom, etc. Uh, Virginia, let me also ask you, you mentioned it, but you had multiple interrogations. You, I mean, you ended up being interrogated frequently and you were beaten and, 
more than one time. Yes. So, uh-huh. I mean, that was just part of your routine and you never gave up. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Why didn't you say, okay, enough is enough. I don't want to suffer this physical pain anymore. I don't want to be interrogated. I don't want to be mistreated. Therefore, I'll go along with the society's lies. You know, I, I, you remember that I, I said, you know, you need to know who you are and you need to know who your God is. Oh, I remember. And when you know all this, you know for sure the mission that God gave you. Mm-hmm. And I will say when you know the mission, you are so rooted in, in God's, God's principle and you, you're, he transforms you. God is not in a business of uh, working on your brain. He transforms you from who you are into a new creation. And he transformed me gradually in all this situation. And he built in me when I was under interrogation and they would beat my head at the table or my, uh, my uh, back to, to the wall and I was not able to breathe. I, I look at those people as... First of all, I felt like God was there holding me. I uh, look at them as God's creation. I knew that I was there to show them Christ. And I want to share a story. Uh, When they were beating me so hard, I was full of blood. And I believed that I was at the end of my rope. And... I don't know if they asked me to sign that I was crazy, that everything, all the lawsuits that I did, they were just lies and everything because they want to redeem themselves and the dictator right. in front of. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And I believe I was at the end of my robe and I heard the Lord whispering to me, do not be terrified by them because I will terrify you in front of them. Hmm. It was like a cold water that came on me, reminding me, God is here. I'm in his hands. Don't worry. Don't look at the situation. And I started to share what, what the God uh, asked me to share. And I even said to them, I don't like what you're doing, but God loves you. And I choose to love you. They were turning their heads because they were crying. They didn't know what to do with it. Can't manage it. Only in heaven I will find out which one of them accepted Christ, which one of them went to my church maybe later on. Well, like your assassin. Yes, yes. Who became a pastor. Virginia, in that context, let me ask you this. One of the things that, that I've expressed from time to time is that if we attempt as Christians to use the tools of warfare that the world uses, mm-hmm. um, you know, to go back at them, to retaliate, to be angry, to uh-huh. try to fight back with, again, the tools of the world, the tools of our enemy, mm-hmm. Satan, mm-hmm. we're not going to succeed. No. Because, A, we're not good at using those tools as Christians. But when we use God's tools, meaning the fruit of his spirit, joy, love, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy, long-suffering. Mm-hmm. These are the characteristics of God. When we use those tools in the most extreme circumstances, like you did. Yes. Even the most hard-hearted person struggles. Exactly. I believe because of the imprint of God on their heart. Exactly. 
they have to turn their face. Yeah. Because they cannot believe how you're reacting. Exactly. Exactly. It's you're convicting. So right. Exactly. Let me share you a story that happened here in America. My girls were at public school. They were in the beginning of the school where they didn't know English very much and so forth. So somebody helped them to work on lockers on, on their, you know, school locker and everything. To do the I, combination. Yeah, the and combination that, yeah. and everything. I believe that that person was a very good person, but maybe there was another one somewhere watching the combination. So one day my, my girls came home and said, Mom, um, our mm. lunch is gone. And uh, you have to come to school and you have to talk with the principal. These people have money and I don't understand why they are doing this. They were all about revenge. You, you have to make it right. You have to make mm. it right. And I look at them and I said, um, I pray. And I was thinking, this is a teachable moment. So I, uh, I said, uh, I pray, Lord, help me. And the Lord put on my heart this. I said, okay. I agree with you that I will go to school, but listen when I will go to school. I will make lunch for you and lunch for the person who is stealing your lunch for three days. And after three days, if that person continues, then I will come to school. But during those three days, I will prepare lunch and I will also ask you and myself to pray for that person. After three days, nothing happened. I, I mean, after three days, there was no... It was done. No, it was no. over. It was absolutely an amazing because they were astonished by the way they responded. It sounds like a, something Joseph would have said yes. to do, right? <laughs> yeah, uh. but God is giving us in our pain, in our injustice performed by others to us mm. an opportunity to, uh, to respond in a Christian way. And that's what I'm, I'm meant by it's a privilege to yeah. suffer for Christ. If you lose your lunch or you lose your life or you, you are beaten, you know, and you are full of blood. Stand <laughs> firm, stand lovingly. Yes. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. Virginia, right at the end here, let me just ask you to give us in a nutshell kind of the wrap-up statement. When you look at your life at Romania, what you suffered under uh, – Ceausescu, what mm -hmm. happened um, to your family, then coming to the U.S., going to SMU, doing your law degree all over, sitting for the bar in the U.S., becoming an attorney here, which, by the way, that's a very impressive thing to do in a second language. So well done. Thank you. Thank but you. when you look at all of it and you continue to fight for uh, freedom, yeah. for I'm, religious uh, rights. Yeah, I'm what an ally say? attorney with Alliance yeah. Defender Freedom. Freedom. So yes. what what do you say to us as a culture, both the Christian culture and the broader American culture? I first of all I will say God built my life in such a way that He wants you to see that it's an example for you. I didn't do anything that God has done it in my life. Like I said, I'm a tool in God's hands. And if you allowed God 
to you to be a tool in God's hands. God will change America, will change you and will change America. I will say this is the best country in the world. Mm. I told you I came here, no empty hands, no money. I raised three kids. Uh, I went to law school. My uh, my daughter, first daughter graduated from SMU like me. My son, my uh, second daughter from Harvard Law School. My son from United States Air Force Academy. They all served the Lord. That's the best country in the world. We receive freedom from others that sacrifice for us. It's our time to to sacrifice for freedom and keep the freedom that comes from God, not from anyone else. Also, I want to say, be patient with yourself. You never experience socialists. You never experience persecution. You need to be trained. Don't expect that you do it and you will do it perfectly. You will have one step uh, ahead, two step back. Just get up. Hold God's hands and be courageous, be strong and courageous what he is doing, asking you, watch for him. This is a way, walk in it. Be a helper for others. See what others are doing and your life will multiply, you know, and your courage through others because when people see others courageous, they will be influenced to, to be courageous. This is our time. And if you don't remember anything at all, remember Ceausescu believed, a dictator, believed that he had my life in his hands. He had everything in his power, an organization, dictatorship and everything, army and everything. And he died 30-something years ago. And I'm still going around the world telling the story of what God has done in my life. Amen. And what God is able to do it. And God brought me here to tell you. And I wrote the book. And I, I have to say, it, when you read the book, you will understand what I want you to read the book. Because I relive my life in order for you to understand what socialist is and how socialist will change our country. But also, I did it with joy so you can understand how powerful God is, that we do not have any reason to fear anything at all, but to fear God and let Him work in us and through us because He is able and He wants, He wants to do those things. And your life will be changed forever. I want to say one thing. Your wildest dream about your life is rubbish, rubbish, compared with the dreams that God has for your life. You mentioned a few minutes ago that I went to law school in Romania and went to law school in America. Do you think that when I came to Dallas, uh, Texas at the airport, I thought, uh-huh, I'm going to go to law school here? No, that's the way God builds. And when I go to college and university or any other places, now I tell people, this is the way I work as a lawyer in socialist, and this is how I work now as a lawyer in capitalist. This is how you find uh, food in socialist. This is so God created everything. I'm not polite when I'm saying he has done it. 
That's the way it is. And he wants so much. He loves you so much. You, you can never imagine how much he loves you. But I want you from the bottom of my heart. I am telling you, stay strong. You, your life will be so much better. Yes, you, maybe you lose your job. Maybe you lose your friends. You might lose even your, your family. I lost my family when I became a Christian. They said, you cannot come to our home, our place. You're not part of the family. But you will gain the family, the true family of God. They will stay by you and they will fight with you. You will read in my book stories about so many people from Romania and from outside of Romania. You know, Congressman Frank Wolf, Christopher Smith, Secretary of State, Ronald Reagan that I didn't know, you know. Did I tell you the story about the fact that Ronald Reagan told me that God told him to pick up the phone and call the dictator? That's, <laughs> that's the way God, God works. There's a little detail. A, a, little, <laughs> a little detail. I, I am a child of God like you. So be encouraged by the story. No, I'm not. The hero. God is the hero of my story, and He wrote the story in my life long, long before I scribe it in my book. And He is still working on mine, and He wants to work on you. And He is so in love with you, and He's so in love for America to be transformed to the America that we knew and we receive so much freedom. So let's get to work with God. Virginia, you need more passion. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you for spending time with me and with the listeners. I so appreciate it. Thank you for your life. Thanks for staying faithful. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share God's story in my life. And thank you for so many years that your organization and your ministry invested and is still invested in Christians, encouraging them to be faithful to God. It's all the Lord's, right? Yes. Yes. Wow, talk about an inspiring conversation with someone who loves the Lord. Uh, Did you hear Virginia's passion? Did you hear the determination to stand for truth and for her king no matter what? It's convicting to think about the things that we might complain about in the United States. And even though Christians are facing increasing opposition in our culture today, thank God we have our freedom to worship and pray and practice our faith. And we have uh, the ability through the law to defend that. Think about what Virginia Prodon overcame through her strong belief that God was always with her, taking care of her every step of the way. She just reminded us that we have no idea how much God loves us and we need to soak in that. And I so related to her story when she was younger, feeling not quite part of the family. Um, you know, living with that family where she was the niece. I felt that in foster care. It's a lonely place to be. It does give you an appetite for what is true, though. That's one thing I found because I had so many adults in my life that weren't able to tell the truth. I connected with her on that point. And again, with John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Some people are put off by that, you know, that it's exclusive. I like the truth of that. Somebody's saying, hey, here's the declaration. I am the way. I so appreciate the fact that Jesus did not leave it ambiguous. John 3.16 is another great scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. My question is, why wouldn't you say yes? That's God's promise to you. If you don't know him, I want to invite you to believe in him right now. He has a plan for your life, just as he showed Virginia. Click on the link in the program notes to read a free booklet called Coming Home, which tells you so much more about how to begin that journey with Christ. And for the believer, I hope you've been encouraged to live your life in such a way that others see Christ in you. There are opportunities around you every day to help others see that God loves them, that he cares for them. Those opportunities include loving others who may despise you. They're not expecting a loving response when they spit at you. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Virginia has modeled for us the fearless power of God's love, and I hope she has inspired you to stand for truth with grace toward others. That's what Refocus is about. I hope you'll get behind this podcast. If you find it helpful, donate to help us produce more of these conversations to impact the culture and the church. With the gift of any amount, I'll send you a copy of Virginia's incredible book, Saving My Assassin. All right, for the inbox segment, uh, let's hear a voicemail that comes from Jack. Hey, Jim. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about how to share your faith on a college campus, especially when those campuses seem to attack your Christianity. Any pointers? Jack, it can be really difficult on a college campus, and I experienced that in a philosophy class where the professor basically said, if you're a Christian in my class, I'm going to give you an F. And I had to confront him. Eventually, I had to drop that class out of principle. But you can stand firm, and I would say in that environment, uh, be the best light with using as few words as possible. Just be a great student, be a great friend in that class, help people. And I think that differentiates you from the rest of the uh, classroom. And that's a great starting point. Then choose your words wisely when you're going to confront and do it in a way that's loving and deferential. And I think you will make a great impression. In fact, one of the staff members here, their son went to Harvard Law School. He did exactly that and the professor was so impressed he allowed this Christian the only one in the class to come forward and give his perspective time and time again so that's a good way to earn your way into speaking to the professor and the entire class Jack, thanks for the question. I hope that helps. If you have a question for me, please click the tab on the right side of the page that says leave a voicemail. And if I use your question on the podcast, I'll say thank you by sending you a copy of my book, Refocus, Living a Life That Reflects God's Heart. Thanks for joining me for Refocus with Jim Daly. Like us, listen, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And next time on Refocus, listen for a great conversation with former NFL tight end Benjamin Watson. We'll discuss protecting and valuing every human life from conception to the grave. She knew that it wasn't right to kill that child. But what she had been through with men, (laughs) what she had been through with the culture, you know, and how we treat marriage and how men in general treat women in general, it wasn't even really about, I want to kill a child. It was I want to be able to have autonomy over myself. But I think for once, she actually saw my humanity and I saw hers. That's on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.
it can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.